part of the challenge is you want to settle your calling as soon as possible. I mean, you want to know what has God equipped me to do? What has God called me to do? Tony, how are you? Oh, man, it's great to be on with you. I'm honored. Thanks for calling me. Oh, thank you so much for doing this and for being my, my second guest. It's really I'm so honored to have you on the the host of Ask Pastor John. If only we had Pastor John on the other side. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. We should see if we can set something like that up. Okay. I'm down. I'm down for that. So, for those of you out there who don't know you, would you mind just sharing just a little bit about who you are and what you do for DG? Yeah. So, I live in uh, Minneapolis. I've been married to my wife for 18 years now, Carolee, and we have three kids, 14, 10, and 8. And uh, for a desiring guy, like you mentioned, I, I host the Ask Pastor John podcast. So it's a daily podcast featuring John Piper. And uh, I'm responsible for pretty much everything except answering the questions. So I'm uh, planning it and, and uh, coordinating guests that come on and uh, reading listener emails, selecting the questions for Pastor John and recording and transcribing and doing the social spread and stuff like that. So that's a, that's a chunk of my work uh, for DG. And then I write articles. Uh, I've been able to write a book for DG and uh, I've edited a number of books for them and uh, do feature articles and things like that. And then I get to uh, work with young writers, which is a lot of fun. So uh, I'm tasked with identifying young writers who can be uh, developed for the platform. Yeah. I mean, Ask Pastor John is such a gift and Desiring God, of course, that resource has, has just blessed thousands of thousands, probably millions. Man, it's, I, the, it's the greatest ministry honor that I've ever participated in. And it's just, uh, it's a sweet thing knowing that's probably not going to be anything in my future that's going to top it. You know, so just being a part of it is just, it's humbling, man. It really is. So if, if you can, maybe what's, what's the story? How did you get into Desiring God? How did God bring that about? Yeah. So my, my pathway into, into ministry is, is a rather interesting one. You know, it goes back to really my, my desire to, to want to be a writer. Um, and that started really early uh, as a fourth grader, I had an English teacher who who read something that I wrote, and she said, "You should write more." Oh wow! And it was just from that little spark, like, "Oh, okay, maybe I'll write more." And uh, I remember my parents bought a PC when I was in middle school, and I would just, you know, write a, uh, sports stories, and I just played the journalist uh, on the computer. And then when I got to high school, I, I signed up for the journalism club immediately. I was like, "I want to be a part of this. I want to be part wow. of the team writing." And uh, it was really cool. I mean, I'm going to date myself, but this was uh, this was early 90s, 1991. I was a freshman in high school, and uh, I remember the journalism classroom just had a ton of Mac classics, Macintosh classics. I don't know if you remember those computers. No, no. I, I was in first grade were, you, in 91. Yeah, you were, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but these little computers, these Macintosh were like all-in-one boxes that you carry around. And so it had a keyboard and a mouse that you plugged in and a power cord, but otherwise the computer was just a box. And so on the weekends, the journalism team could could take these computers home and use them. And so I would bring them home and set it up my in my bedroom and and right away. Wow. And uh, I mean, you can deduce my social my social life at that point. But from that, but the high school paper really opened up doors, you know, for me to j join the staff of uh, a full color sports magazine in Nebraska at the time. And wow. then I wrote a little bit for the Omaha World Herald. And so sports journalism was really really my dream. It's it's what I was was pursuing uh, as a writer and. Um, so I became a, a feature writer uh, for, at one point, there's four different platforms that I worked for at the time and um, went to college. Uh, the first two years, I just exhausted the University of Nebraska of all of its journalism courses, communications, photography, you name it. Um, and then once I was done with those classes, I really became bored with school. I mean, really, I didn't want to take science or math or any of that stuff. Um, but uh, it, was a, it was a fun time. It was an intense time, sort of the junior, senior high school years and then uh, freshman, sophomore, college years. Wow. But that didn't answer the question, did it? 
No, no, no. Yeah. No, no. So, okay, so yeah. In, into DG. So, yeah. So, writing, God has been, you've been laying the, the foundation for being a writer. Exactly. From early age, all the way through college. So, what I, what I found out, you know, when I was a sophomore in, in college, uh, newspapers started to collapse. I mean, newspapers were fo- folding. Uh, the market was uh, really in, a ba- in bad shape. Uh, I also started to notice that the people I was working with in the journalism field, uh, a lot of them were underpaid, unhappy, and a lot of them were were divorced. And it was just a very hard um, uh, sports journalism was a hard career for for a marriage. And so I wanted to be married. I wanted to uh, have a family. And so dropped out of college, went back to construction after two years of, of college, and um, was married at twenty one. And then, uh, by God's grace, I was saved at twenty two. And so when God saved me, then sort of the the early desires that I had for journalism and writing came back, but in a new form, in mm-hmm. a ministry form. And that's when I started the the Shepherd Scrapbook. So that I, was yeah, that was back in two thousand and six. I started that. So then in in August of of two thousand six, and you you were a reader probably back at that time. We were talking I before was. we went on air. Yeah, yeah. Spurgeon WordPress dot com. <laughs> exactly, not very original. Uh, but that's where I was at. The Shepherd Scrapbook was the title of it. And in the the summer of two thousand and six, I had this harebrained idea. I was I was going to take an ESV Bible run it through a table saw. Oh, that's right. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yes, yes. I would cut the binding off and then create a a blank Bible just like Jonathan Edwards had. So Jonathan Edwards, the old Puritan, had this this Bible that his brother-in-law took and uh, took all the pages apart and then put blank pages in between each Bible page. So it was essentially a journaling Bible back in the day. So I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to pull this off and make a Jonathan Edwards blank Bible just like his. And so I, I, I tried that and uh, I took photographs of the whole process. The first attempt was a failure, colossal failure. The second one, it was like a four volume spiral bound version. And that, that turned out pretty, pretty well. Um, and it, it ignited sort of just a, this huge interest in people wanting to do this for themselves. Oh yeah. I never did it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not very handy. And when I saw that and you got a buzz saw, I'm like, okay, I'm out. Yeah, so I was taking pictures of the whole thing. Well, Justin Taylor, I didn't know Justin Taylor at the time, but he was following any mention of ESV online with a Google alert. Oh, and wow. so he was he was seeing these, you know, probably distressed over what I was doing with his ESV. But <laughs> uh, he saw it, he linked to it, and uh, my blog readership went from like 20 daily readers to 2,000 daily readers in you know, just a couple of days. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of it. From there, then just door started to open up. Uh, door opened up so that I could go and, and work full time out in the DC area uh, for Sovereign Grace Ministries and uh, work as essentially a guy who, who helped to care for pastors in the denomination. And uh, then that opened up doors and uh, we moved here in 2012. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, I love hearing how God worked all these things out. Went from a young age, then here we are, you know, decades later, and just God's hand at work and fulfilling your writing gifts and talents and dreams Man. here to serve thousands and thousands of people. So we, that kind of took us through how you'd be, how you became a writer. So what, what books have you written? I, I know you've, you write a lot online. You mentioned the, the book for, uh, Desiring God. Yeah. So I've written, uh, I've written three books to date. Uh, I've wrote a book on reading uh, called Lit Christian Guide to, to Reading Books. 2011 was when that was published. Lit is a book, uh, it's really a theology of literature, and it's packed with just a bunch of realistic tips for how to get uh, reading done. And then last year, 2015, I published uh, Newton on the Christian Life in Crossways Theologians in the Christian Life series, which is a detailed study of the the timeless pastoral counsel of John Newton, who was a slave trader turned pastor who wrote the, the hymn Amazing Grace, which is what he's most famous for. And then I wrote a short book for DG last year. Uh, it's titled The Joy Project. 
and uh, it's it's sort of my it's my first attempt to write a book online free of charge. So you can download the whole thing free. Uh, type in the Joy Project and you'll find it. And uh, that's it was sort of a move into the Gretchen Rubin genre, this sort of like how do we simplify our life to find happiness kind of thing. And okay. I just I, I went at it with the five points of Calvinism, and I said <laughs> God is after our joy, and He has planned for it, and He is He has got a process in place, uh, and He's going after our joy to purchase it and to give it to us sovereignly. Mm. And so that's kind of the the aim of that book. Yeah, well, yeah. What are, what are you working on now? So I'm finishing up a manuscript uh, called Twelve Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. And uh, that's going uh, to Crossway. It'll be published next year, April of 2017. Essentially, the smartphone, how it, it shapes our patterns for the better and for the worse. So I really wear my journalist hat with that one and go searching for answers. So you have this new book on technology coming out, which I can't wait to read. I know our students at our church, they just went on this unplugged retreat. Oh, or it was a, whole, a whole weekend yeah. without their phones. Great idea. And they said that was hard. They could feel like the itch. I don't know if you've experienced this. I, I feel like I have phantom rings yes. in my pocket sometimes. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a psychological phenomenon now. Yeah, that you just, you think that your phone is ringing or buzzing and it's not. Yeah, that's, that's freaky. I mean, there's a, I just read an interview with a lady who grew up Amish. So she had no technology until she was 18. She decided to leave uh, her Amish town and uh, become part, you know, part of the, the world and, and leave that, that lifestyle. And uh, she, by the time she was 24, she said her fear of missing out of digital media was so strong that it was as strong as any of her friends who grew up in non-Amish backgrounds. And wow. so it was like one of these things, like even if you grew up Amish, uh, this fear of missing out, this fear of being disconnected, not online, not available uh, through the phone is, is something that is just so innate, so quickly learned. It's, it's startling. So after this, this book is coming out soon. You have Lit, which I loved. It was great. I think it was super helpful, especially for many of us who maybe we didn't pay attention very well in high school. Um, like I know I did not. And so <laughs> learning, learning yeah. how to read and how to write and just English grammar and all these kinds of things. I really love that book, but I'm, I just feel like I have to confess to you. I don't have it anymore because a guy at church really wanted it and he traded it for me. With a Ticlet, a stainless steel Ticlet. Oh. Is what wow. we traded. So it was like a $75 Ticlet. Wow, so your book. That's a good trade. Yeah, it was a really good trade. And actually, your book, Newton on the Christian Life, which man, I'm just really mm. loving. I'm still mm. working through it right now. Um, I want to talk about some of your, just your writing and your wordsmithing in there in a second. That book got stolen out of my truck. My truck <laughs> got broken into. Oh, and they my took my bag with my Newton oh, book. My word. With my Hebrew textbook. Oh, uh, my all word. gone. Did I see a, did you Instagram a picture of yourself on the beach with the Newton book? Yes. Okay. I, I, I took Newton. Yeah. Newton took his talents to South Beach with <laughs> That's me. That's right. That was a classic one. Oh, that was great. Uh, so, man, you got so that. much. Yeah. So, I got a replacement now. Okay, so, good. But I, I lost all my highlights. That was the bummer. Oh, sure. So, but here we are. Oh, man. So, you've got, you got Newton. Got the book on technology. Lit. Uh, the DG book. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've got more books ruminating in there. So for some guys, some authors I talk to and writers, some people struggle when to call themselves a writer, mm. when to call themselves an author. When do you feel like you became an author or do you feel like, is it oh, safe man. to consider yourself an author now? You know, I don't think I've ever considered myself like, I've never called myself Tony Ranke, comma, author. Mm. I don't think I've ever said that. I've never referenced myself that way. You know, I'll say I'm the author of four books or 
Uh, I'm the author of The Joy Project, but I've never referred to myself as an author. It's, it's weird because nobody really gives you that description. Nobody gives you yeah. that job description. So it's an awkward self-designation. I suppose you could say that the, the publishing agreement that you sign has you listed as an author or the author. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's something that you you really give yourself uh, that self-designation. It, it feels a little bit intrusive, really. Yeah. Um, you know, like if I was at Fenway Park and I jumped on the field and ran over to third base and said, I'm the new third baseman of the Boston Red Sox, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, it's, it feels kind of like something like that. Um, but, but there's yeah. nobody that really bestows upon you the mantle of, of author. So we I need mean, Amazon to send us like a card after or something. You, yeah. Yeah. But then what do you base it on? Do you base it on the fact that you sell a book there or number of sales or number of titles or? This is hard. Yeah. That's so, a good. So what do you, today, do you consider yourself today yet? Now you're well, on a writing podcast. Maybe today's the day. <laughs> maybe, this is your baptism. You can bestow that man- If you want to bestow that mantle, <laughs> that could be your, your work from here on. You could call up people and bestow made. mantles. Yeah, that works. Uh, I'll take it. I, I mean, I honestly, first and foremost, I think of myself as a, a researcher. Uh, that's first and foremost. That's primary. That's really gets at the root of everything that I do. I research, I read, I study. And uh, uh, put thoughts together that way. Then I think of myself as a journalist, second. And then I think of myself as a writer of books, third. So my personal goal in life is not to write as many books as I can, uh, but really to write as many books as I feel that God has called me to write. And so I never really presume that I'm going to write another one. Uh, I'm not a career author. Uh, That's really never been my aspiration. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because some guys I know they've got a stockpile list of books they're just waiting to write, and then others when I guess when lightning strikes and then they yeah, go for it. And- yeah, I've got a stockpile of ideas, but three fourths of those ideas will will die. Either somebody else will write a better book than I can write, or I'm not the one called to write it, or or something. I mean, it's just it, it takes a long time to really, for me at least, to be settled that this is a book that needs to be written, and I'm the one that needs to write it. And I feel like one of the things I noticed with you is we talk about writing is that, so, you know, it's part of your full-time job with with Desiring God and maybe, you know, guys and gals out there listening, either they have their regular eight to five job and they're blogging on the side, they're maybe tinkering with with book ideas on the side. And I noticed, I think from Instagram that you're able to preserve an annual writing retreat and a reading retreat. So maybe take us through what those look like and maybe writing in the margins of life and then these retreats. Cause mm-hmm. I know some guys can't, I would love to go on a, on a writing retreat. So what, what does that look like? Yeah. So I've got a writing retreat and a, a reading retreat each year. They're each two and a half days long. Um, so the reading retreats are, I've been doing those for at least eight years now. It's uh, sometimes I go to a hotel, sometimes I'll stay at home. And uh, especially when the kids are in school, it's easier to do. But I'll just I'll just uh, really cordon off those two and a half days so I can read, depending upon what kind of retreat it is. Um, the the reading retreats are typically done alone, or I do travel with my family. My family will go do do things, you know, meet with family or whatever, and I'll kind of uh, use that time uh, to to read. Uh, it just depends on the year. It depends on how it works with the family. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times it is is just myself in a hotel with a ton of books, and I just go off. And it's always thematic. Uh, one year I did a, a 10 books just reading through uh, Already Not Yet Eschatology. I just really wanted to to, to go deeper in uh, what cosmic Christology meant for sort wow. of the end times. And not, not wrestle with the different theologies of the end times, but just what is the already? What does that mean for us as a church? So I did that. One year it was just a... It was just a retreat that, uh, where I brought books that covered uh, the history of baseball from 1840 to 1920. I love that that wow. section of it. So 
it wasn't a spiritual retreat. It wasn't a Christian retreat. It was just me getting away. And so what I'm trying to do in these retreats for two and a half days is to really preserve my reading attention. Uh, I want to be able to read for 10, 12 hours in a day with breaks and and things like that. But uh, I, I want to retain that linear concentration uh, because it just it erodes, uh, especially when you work online. That's the reading retreat. As far as the writing retreat goes, uh, I do that mostly with DG now. Okay. Um, so those are on DG time. Uh, the content team will pull away and we'll get out of town into uh, an Airbnb or we'll rent a cabin or something. So that's me and John Bloom and uh, David Mathis, Marshall Siegel, Philip Holmes, uh, Stephen Green, and then John Piper will come along every once in a while. And uh, we'll find a cabin and uh, we'll just live together, write and uh, talk, you know, talk about our projects and work on big things. So it's really sweet. It's sweet to work on site with a team of gifted people, and uh, uh, it really feels like the inklings. I mean, even in male laughter, yeah, it yeah. feels like the inklings, you know, working together. It's a lot of fun. Oh, that sounds – man, that sounds like a blast. So in, in those times when you're writing together, like when I, I spoke with Jared, he yeah. said, Jared Wilson, he loves to be into a coffee shop. And I asked him, okay, do you go headphones or no? Because <laughs> I got to go headphones. Yeah. And so you, are you, you think in silence or noise, where are you at? You know, I can pretty much do anything. Um, so lit was pretty much written in uh, funky East coast Starbucks stores. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, these Starbucks will find like a, some pub that was built in the 1800s and they'll convert it to a Starbucks and it's yeah. just cool old stone and all that stuff. So I can, I can write in a Starbucks without headphones. And then Newton was mostly written, uh, in an office in solitude. Uh, it was pretty quiet. And then some of it was written at the Library of Congress in the oh, wow. uh, reading room rotunda. Um, so I can, if I'm going to listen to music, I like it loud. Uh, I, I what, do what are you listening to? Oh, I've got a like explosions in the sky or, or what, what's what's happening here? You, oh man, I would have to pull it up to, to uh, give you all of my list. I mean, there's yeah, like in sync or <laughs> no uh, Lecrae. Uh, some hip hop. There's uh, explosions in the sky. There's yeah. uh, I mean, it's. It's just a huge mix. I got to go instrumental when I write. Either either I'm writing my sermon manuscripts or writing blog posts or, or book stuff. Because yeah. start, I'll start listening to Lecrae or I'll start listening to Andrew Peterson or what have you. Yeah, like, yeah oh, you man, hear that. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get, I get lost in what I'm working so on. I, I listen to some Sigur Rose. Is that how you call it? Okay. It's Sigur yeah, Rose. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I don't know what they're saying. So, it's it's almost instrumental. Yeah, that works. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, it's a, it's a very eclectic mix of... Of music. Sometimes I put my headphones on and I forget to even start the music. It's just, uh, uh, I don't know. It's just, I just get locked in and it doesn't really matter what's happening. Yeah. Okay. So now we're talking about writing and scheduling and retreats and kind of the environment. And I think some of that all kind of plays into the, the discipline and productivity of writing. And I know that you, you read a lot. Obviously, I mean, you're going on these multi hour reading retreats, which are incredible. So how do you think of productivity and planning when it comes to writing and reading? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, productivity for me is really about the hours, putting the hours in. Um, and so for me, it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. And this kind of goes back to my construction days when you know, I, I did basement remodeling for a number of years. And I would walk into a basement and, you know, it was pretty easy to figure out what somebody wanted done. You know, how many bedrooms do you want? Do you want a drop ceiling or do you want an entertainment center, a, a bathroom, walkout door, et cetera? You know, you, there's just these standard questions and you could real yeah. quickly know kind of what they want this basement to function as. And so, you know, I look at reading and writing in a similar way in the sense that uh, I know that I can read books at a pace of about 275 words per minute. Um, so that's not speed reading. Uh, it's a little faster than normal. Uh, but 275 words per minute is is my average. So I can read um, 
Hopefully I can read 90 minutes a day. That's my, that's my goal uh, overall okay. is to read 90 minutes a day. Just very doable. Yeah. Um, and that, that means that's 9 million words per year. Uh, or that's over a hundred books pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's realistic. It's about finding the time, preserving the time, keeping the time. And uh, writing is the same way for me. I know that I can write about 150 publishable words per hour. And so that, that includes, you know, the first draft that includes all of the edits that includes, uh, working with a publisher on the cover, the back cover copy, uh, some sort of a marketing plan and strategy. So the, everything it takes to publish a book, I can publish a, about 150 words per hour invested, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a 50,000 word book, I, I just know it's about 300 hours of labor. And uh, I just have to sit in my chair and get the work done. Man, you did some number crunching there. Yeah, you just kind of learn over time. I mean, it really, you just don't want to rush things, especially with a book. Yeah. And uh, and since I'm not, I, I never have multiple book deals going at the same time. I can really, I can spend a lot of time in each book project and I need it. Like some guys, I think it's easy for writers. We can maybe get too focused in on the tools we're using instead of just writing. But I think it, you know, it's helpful to have good tools. Are there any special word programs you're using or word processors, distraction-free writing or Scrivener or, or anything like that? No, I've, I've used Scrivener in the past. Um, I used it for the initial draft of 12 ways. It was helpful to kind of keep my research together with uh, my draft. Uh, but I quickly transitioned back to, to Microsoft Word. Um, that's pretty much all I use. I just use Word. Uh, I use Bible software. Uh, Logos is is the, the software program that I use most often. Um, but yeah, it's pretty simple. I don't use anything else. So you had told me with reading that 120 books a year is your goal. Yeah, that's that's realistic for me. Do you do you ever surpass that? Uh, no. I mean, I, if I do surpass that, I'm probably reading books so fast I wouldn't even call it reading. Yeah, I'm just kind of skimming to get a sense of them. So I, I'm skimming. I don't know how many books I'm skimming. I'm getting you know probably two, maybe three hundred books a year from Christian publishers. Uh, oh yeah, people want me to look at. Um, so I'll, I'll skim those and see if they're worth spending more time in. But as far as reading, I mean, and in fact, the the past twelve months, it'll be it'll actually be a little bit under uh, my goal. It, it'll probably be about eighty books, just because I spent so much time focused on fifty books. Uh, specifically mm. devoted to technology, like I mean, lingering on footnotes and things like that. So I'm, I've oh, yeah. really read uh, some technology books deeply, and so I won't have the I won't I won't have invested as much uh, as many titles, uh, but but I've gone deeper in, in those fifty books. What about right now? What are you uh, reading right now? Oh man, there's a mess of of books that follows me all the time. Uh, I've uh, I'm slowly working through the the short stories of John Cheever. Who is okay. um who is a fictional author? Really good. I just finished a, a study of Andy Warhol, and for that oh, wow. I read uh, Olivia Lang's new book, The Lonely City. Uh, she's a non Christian, but really has some insightful thoughts about Andy Warhol and technology and media. I, I've been reading a number of books by uh, just feminists. Uh, there's a book called All the Single Ladies that recently came out. Uh, the subtitle is Unmarried Women and the Rise of an Independent Nation. It's talking about this phenomenon of what does it mean that uh, there are more unmarried women in America now than married women. Uh, it's mm. a new cultural phenomenon. And so just what does that mean for us and and uh, for the church? Theologically, I'm reading all sorts of different kinds of things. Uh, there's a female theologian out in Virginia named Catherine Sundreger. Uh, I just recently read her first volume of a systematic theology she's writing on God's simplicity, uh, really fresh style of writing that I really appreciated. What is Free Will by Scott Christensen. I just finished that. Really good book on on Free Will by PNR. Uh, Kevin Van Hooser has a new book coming out in a month. I just finished. It's really good. Um, oh, really? 
Yeah. Pictures, uh, I think it's called Pictures and a Theological Exhibition. Okay. More great. of a popular level book. Really good. Yeah. I, w- I was hoping that he would have more. Once I started kind of diving into the drama of doctrine, I thought, yeah. man, this is really good. Yeah. He's finally then, starting to articulate, I think, that for uh, common church folks and uh, making it simple. And I feel like I could feel some of that in, in your book on Newton. I felt like I picked up on some of that when you, when you talk about uh, theology as, as life in Christ. Yes. Um, that right here is on page 128. God's plan of salvation doesn't end with our freedom from hell, but presses us on, training us as disciples who think and act and speak like Christ. That's, oh, man. That echoes Theodrama. I mean, that's yeah. Dan Hooser's, that's his project is uh, the Bible is a script. We're on a stage. The spotlight's on. And uh, we are living this out together in costume, in the costume of union with Christ. And uh, so, yeah, there's definitely a little bit of Dan Hooser. Uh, but Newton uses his imagination to really help Christians understand how this is all working together. So it's a, it's a very natural connection. When I, I love to think about writing, especially as, as evangelicals, those of us who want to herald the gospel yeah. in our writing from our tweets and blog posts and articles and books. And so what, what are some of your favorite books on writing? And then in a more, more particularly, some of your favorite Christian writers that, that influence your writing the most? Wow. Um, that's very, very good questions. Um, I've got two shelves of, of books just on writing and, uh, I mean, I'm pretty practical when it comes to writing. So I really want writers to help me help teach me how to write sentences. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, so I've got books on, uh, the classic style. How do you write in the classic style? I've got books on uh, how to write long, right branching sentences, how to write literary, you know, beautiful literary sentences and how to write short sentences and popular sentences and even, you know, fragments. Mastering the art of using the the strategic fragment. Uh, last October, I, I I put my sort of my my favorite uh, books together in a blog post, uh, which y- you can find online. Just Google yeah, my yeah. name, and we'll, uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, books on building great sentences. Basically, anything by Roy Peter Clark is really helpful. He's a journalist. He trains journalists. Uh, really helpful. And then uh, a book that stands out as far as uh, shaping narratives, telling stories really well, is a book called Storycraft by Jack Hart. Mm. Uh, really, really good. Um, so those are some of the books that stand out and that blog post will have, uh, recommendations on each of those sentence types. I think I just, I picked up, you must've put it in a blog post or maybe on Instagram, uh, word hero. Yes. So I love yes. these little books that either dive into different words you can use either. There's one book I have that will go through Victorian slang. And <laughs> like that's the kind yes. of stuff that I love. Like you oh, read man. Doug Wilson or like some of yes. these guys, when I try to grow in my writing, I'm just trying to see how is this guy using commas Yes, and the semicolon? How are they constructing these sentences that I can imitate? Yeah. That's exactly what you should be looking for. And so, so let's think about Christian writers, the guys <laughs> past, present that just the influence you um, you just love their their writing style. Yeah, I mean John Piper comes to the top of the list just because he's the guy that spent so much time uh, talking with, and even in you're talking writing with him. Uh, he's exegetically rigorous, uh, theologically minded all the time, and his expression is very colorful. You can tell he's been trained poetically. Uh, that yeah. comes out, and uh, so it's just a unique blend. Newton, I, I mean, spent so much time reading John Newton's letters. He's really helped me just how do you articulate things with clear metaphors and simplicity that anybody can understand. His hymn, uh, Amazing Grace, is 85% one-syllable words, mm. which is just phenomenal. I mean, you think about yeah. that, it's just mind-boggling. Uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, brilliant thinker, clear writer. Uh, his illustrations and metaphors really stick in your brain, and they won't let go. You know, they, they just hold on to yeah. you. Uh, I love that. Uh, Chesterton, witty, clear. Uh, one of the greatest. 
I like Tolkien. I know you don't like Tolkien, but I do. <laughs> I do like Tolkien. And I, I think he's a good model of just a guy who said, you know, I'm going to give my life to this project. And he's very patient and he let it develop over time. That's why, that's why I love him for, I mean, the, the Puritans stand out to me. I read a lot of Puritan literature. Uh, yeah. I think they're really good pastors. I think they were really clear communicators. I, I love, I love to read Puritan literature. Herman Bovink is a theologian that's really influenced me. Um, the Dutch theologian who was a systematic theologian, but he also turned his attention to, to deal with all types of, of social issues. And, it, and he did so with eloquence. Spurgeon, J.C. Ryle stand out. I th- you know, as far as like people who write beautifully, um, yeah. the three that sort of stand out in my mind are uh, Eugene Peterson and Frederick Beekner and Anne Voskamp. Those are the three mm-hmm. that I read just to, to, to get a sense of how you can use language in a beautiful, stylistic way. I think something about good writing if I try to think of two things in particular, they're not, they're not just trying to get you to know something, yes, but also to feel something. Like when I think of Lewis, when he says like, don't just tell me something was good. Like, let me feel it. Yes. Like, don't just tell me it's a tree. What, what kind of tree is it? Yes. Is it an oak tree? Yes. Is it a big tree? Is yes. it a dead tree? Is there any, how many leaves are on the tree? You yes. know, like, and I, your writing, there's a page I was just looking through the other day where you're talking about Christ as Christ is our safety. He is our magnet. So these word pictures, then I, I automatically I'm thinking of, you know, the, the Acme magnet yeah. that's that's there drawing us to himself, pulling us along a path marked out with his own feet into a heaven opened up to us by his crushed body. Mm. And see, you said crushed body. You could have just said mm. into a heaven opened up for us by his death, mm. but his crushed body. So the the word pictures, the the imagination that's pulled us into I think that is a characteristic of just wonderful Christ exalting, Christ honoring writing. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And, so, how, uh, how can we develop that? Because you could have, it would have been theologically true just yeah. to say Christ is our safety. He draws yeah. us to himself yeah. and opens heaven with his death. Yeah, it's about, it's, it's using metaphor, it's using illustration, and it's using the expansiveness of the English language. Um, I mean, there's, there's a hundred, there's over 100 synonyms for the word wordy in the English Mm -hmm. language. I mean, we have so, so much rich language and, and descriptors at our fingertips. And it's not something that comes natural. It's hard. And again, this goes back to the time. This is why I need an hour for every 150 written words, because I need to stop and think and press into, okay, how can I say this better? How can I use a richer verb here? How can I describe this in a way that's not overbearing, but is, is more, is more punchy than in my first draft. And so I'm constantly working and reworking sentences uh, to to put as much of that illustration in, but I don't want to do too much of it. If you do too much yeah. of it, it seems like you're trying to prop your writing up with uh, uh, with things that uh, are unnecessary, and I think the reader can lose some some confidence in you. But it's it really is about the time. You have to put the time in to 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 accomplish that. One of my favorite books on writing. I can't remember the author's name, but the the name of the book is called Spunk and Bite. Oh yeah, yeah, I know and what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh man, that was I read that in a week because it was so captivating. And, yeah. The writing was crunchy and salty. It, yes. it just really came alive. Like, man, this is how I want to yeah. write. Yeah. And then there's, I, I that, there's that book called Sin and Syntax. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It came out about the same time. Yeah. Really good. Really helpful. And uh, I mean, God is so worthy of our creativity and he's so worthy of us just pressing as hard as we can to to speak of his realities in ways that are that are fresh. And uh, uh, that's one of the beautiful things about writing. It also makes it incredibly hard. I mean, it is like golf. You'll never perfect it. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect round of golf. You're, you're always going to have things that you can improve on. 
And uh, that's what writing is. It's just, it's just endlessly pushing you uh, to your limits. And it's, it's hard, uh, but it's sweet. It really is. So let's say there's, you know, there's people out there listening and they're thinking, okay, well, I didn't really want to be a writer when I was in second grade. Yeah. Um, I cheated my whole way through <laughs> high school in English. I didn't yeah. pay attention. I'm still not all that sure what an adverb is. Um, but I, I like to communicate ideas and I think I want to be a writer. So what advice do you have for an aspiring writer? How should they start pitfalls to avoid? Yeah. Um, that's, that's a great question. I mean, part of the challenge is you want to settle your calling as soon as possible. I mean, you want to know what has God equipped me to do? What has God called me to do? And this is really hard. I mean, this is so, you know, we talk about calling at the front end of, of work, but that's just not how life typically works. I mean, we typically get a job and then build a career and then, you know, discover our calling like 10 years before we retire. You know, it's like calling is something that's so far deep in the process for a lot of people in their vocations. Um, so if God has called you to be a writer, you want to know that soon. You want, you, you want to pray about that. You want to ask God for clarity. And what that means is there's, there's a type of writing where you you just write to self-express, you know, you want to get something out and express it. That's not necessarily a a ministry calling to writing. Mm. When you're called to write, you are able to use words in a way that persuade others towards biblical truth, towards biblical reality. And that's what you want to see. You want to publish things, you want to write things, but you want to watch the watch the effect of your writings on your readers. Do they view this as just self-expression or are you changing minds? Are you persuading people? If you are in some small way, that that's likely pointing to, to the idea that you know, God has put a calling on your life, that this is something more than just self-expression. So that's mm. really important. And even before that's settled, I mean, you should be doing a lot of writing. Write as much as you can. That doesn't mean you publish a lot, but you should be writing a lot. And, of course, you have to read a lot. You know, so I, I constantly feel like I'm catching up from all the books that I didn't read in high school because there's a lot of literature that oh, yeah. I totally skipped out in, in high school. And I, I feel like I'm I'm still catching up. But reading is so key. Um, I mean, every writer has to protect their input if they're going to preserve their output. You know, if if you don't protect the time you need to read, you're eventually going to dry up. And so it's really important that you read and uh, have some sort of a discipline set in your life that you can, you, you don't have to, you know, nerd out like me, but you should, you should have <laughs> a significant time in your life to, to read. And, um, you know, another thing I, I say to young writers is don't be, don't be intimidated by all the books. You know, everybody is publishing, it seems. And, um, we have this promise from the Lord in Habakkuk. He says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Mm. I mean, just think of that, that just overwhelming tsunami of knowledge of God. We're far from that saturation point. So when you think like everybody's publishing but me, uh, be encouraged. There's, there's, there's so much more room for young writers to step up and yes. to, to write. I mean, we see this at, at Desiring God. You know, we're Christian hedonists. You know, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And working that out into the recesses of life is going to take a lifetime. I mean, we need to, we have so much work to do in, in saying, what does this look like in the workplace? What does this look like for moms? What does this look like in marriage? What does this look like in sports? What does this look like in art? And And there's just... So much work to do that we're really calling for all hands on deck to, to to help us articulate this. There's so much work to be done, I guess, is the thing. And so one of the things I tell young writers is 
dream big, have big ideas, write big articles. And what I mean by that is it can be daunting for a, a young writer who wants to write a book and uh, they, they just don't have the time to write a book. So what I encourage them to do is think of a big article idea that you could write and publish on a, on a big platform like a desiring God. And so a lot of young writers come to me and say, okay, help me, help me to write my first big article. What does this look like? And what I typically ask them to do is to really think back in their own personal experience to uh, some defining moment. It may have been a great thing, it may have been a horrible thing, but some really life-defining moment and interpret it with the gospel. Apply the gospel to it. Um, and that, that, that typically works really well. Oh, man, that's such good advice. And it, it's encouraging. And it, I think it lighting a fire under me and under many, I hope, that are listening, that there will be a new generation of, yes, of writers. Exactly. That, you know, eventually our heroes and these guys that we look up to and love and many that we've mentioned on this podcast, they just like Lewis, his season was over. And now other guys are coming up. So we need to keep fostering and encouraging that next generation of writers. That's exactly That'll right. come up and herald the gospel. Yeah. And they need to be disciplined in the word. I mean, that is so key. Like now is the time to, to build routines uh, of being in the word, knowing scripture, going deep with God now and really investing in, in your Bible knowledge. Uh, because there will come a, a time for a lot of young writers when they'll be called on to write a lot of content and they need time really soaking in God's word and being disciplined mm -hmm. there. Cause I think the, I think the Christian book market is, is, it is saturated by a kind of book that is written by someone who the author just doesn't know their Bible well enough. And so, I mean, you gotta go deep there. Yeah. Uh, especially if you want to write multiple books over the years, you're going to need a, a deep well. You really have to have um, a, a discipline in, in God's word. We need more bunions. Yes, we, we do. Will bleed, bleed bib line all over Amen. those pages, which is what I feel from you, what I feel from Mathis as I'm reading mm. David's book, Habits yeah. of Grace. It's like, man, it's just scripture all over every page. It's like, it's, I've, I've thought to myself, this is like reading a John Piper book, just yes. with parenthesis after parentheses of scripture and go, now this, this is a book we can all get behind right here. Yes. Amen. Tony, thank you so much for doing this, brother. It's, it's just been a blast to talk writing with you. And maybe maybe in the future we can talk about Newton. Oh, just talk I'd about Newton do that. And, and his writing that. chops. Jeff, thank you so much. Thanks, brother. Thank you for listening to Home Row. Please go to iTunes and leave a rating so news can spread and the podcast will go into the ears of many more. Thank you so much.